Gen Z is a freaking inspiration. I love them. They are wild. And I think it's just in the end, parents need to chill. And if this lets them chill, and if it doesn't impact the kids too much, and it lets them go do silly things like jumping in some puddles with their friends or light, really inconsequential shoplifting, like good for them. This is Lock and Code, a Malwarebytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. Our main story today is about the location tracking of children. Over the years, we've talked a lot on this show about surveillance. Uh, Surveillance is, frankly, a scary word, and it often denotes non-consensual tracking. Uh, The spied upon are unaware that they are spied upon. And it also denotes a power imbalance. When we talk about surveillance, we think of a foreign government intelligence agencies using the spyware tool Pegasus to crack into the iPhones of human rights activists and political dissidents, or the U.S. National Security Agency sweeping up countless electronic communications from Americans without a warrant, or even the type of intimate partner surveillance that can come from the use of stalkerware in abusive relationships. But today's episode is less surveillance and more monitoring, and it's less government agency and more mom and pop, literally. Every single day, parents across the world monitor and track the activities of their children. Some do it through secretly following their children's social media accounts. Some do it through openly following their children's social media accounts. Some request access to emails. Some look through internet history. And a whole bunch of parents use mobile apps, which can provide location tracking and geofencing alerts, even roadside assistance capabilities. But those mobile apps often require that the children being tracked also have a phone of their own, as there would be nothing to track if it wasn't another device. So, how are parents tracking their kids who are too young to own a phone? As technology reporter Heather Kelly from the Washington Post found out, they're using Apple AirTags. The inexpensive devices, $29 for one or $99 for a four-pack, can easily be placed into a kid's backpack or onto their bicycles, even sewn into clothes. And they provide a level of certainty that parents said they appreciate. Said one parent about putting two AirTags in their eight-year-old daughter's backpack, quote, To some it might be overbearing because I worry so much, because she's my only child. It really comes down to what makes you more comfortable. And I'd rather be safe than sorry. End quote. But what do others say? Today, to help us understand the modern wave of parental location tracking, why some parents see air tags not as restrictive, but as freeing, and how childhood experts are feeling about the whole thing, we're speaking with Heather Kelly technology reporter for the Washington Post. Heather, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We are excited to have you here and excited to talk about probably the most popular form of location tracking right now. Um, I don't have anything to back that up, so let's maybe not 
worry about that immediately, but we have a ton to get into, and so I just want to jump right into it, right? And like I said, in your story for the Washington Post, you spoke to many families and parents about the use of air tags to track their kids' whereabouts. And I wanted to start really broad here, which is how are parents using air tags? And by that, I kind of mean like, how are they being placed? Uh, what age are the children who are being tracked? Uh, and and are there any rules that come along with the air tag? So again, how are parents using these tools? So parents are using these in all kinds of ways. And the age range is actually pretty fascinating to me because I've heard of really young children. Anybody who can walk, therefore can walk away is the parental <laughs> fear right now. And so um, one of the earliest times in their lives that these kids are going to see these is if they go to someplace like Disneyland or even a crowded mall and the parents are like, oh, well, just, just in this one scenario, let's have a backup plan in case they get lost. And so a lot of parents are like pinning them to their children, putting them around their necks in lanyards. There are wristbands. There are literally hundreds of accessories sold that will hold just an Apple AirTag that fit on children. And they're putting them on there just so they know in the back of their mind, if they get lost, I have a plan. And then as they get into the tweens, it can become more of a, I'll just keep them tracked all the time so I know where they are. And once you get to that age, there's really a division in why parents are doing it that's fascinating. And it goes all the way up until the kids can have a phone and then parents will just track them that way. Something that immediately interested me about what you said is that parents are approaching the use of air tags or tracking in almost a ad hoc way, right? It's not, hey, let's have a conversation about tracking our kids before we do it. It's more so, hey, we have an event coming up and this would be helpful, like going to Disneyland and a kid might get lost or going to, I assume, like an airport or traveling for the first time with a child and this provides that level of comfort. And I just want to see if if I'm getting that right. Am I understanding that, you know, there isn't like a big conversation that happens beforehand about all the implications. It's more so this is a need. And, and so we're addressing that need. Yeah. And a lot of it is just testing it out. I mean, I'll be honest, some of us, when we start that process, it's like, oh, I might need this. Let me write an article about it for my job and get some more mileage out of it. Um, but yeah, it's funny. A lot of the younger kids, you're not going to sit down and be like, let's have the talk about the birds and the bees and surveillance. Um, and so I actually interviewed my son, who's nine for this, to, to see how much he would understand. And he just did not care. He was like, sure. Yeah, that sounds cool. Just put it in my bag. So I think it's going to be in the tween years when it does become something that requires a little more thought and a little more conversation. Although any age you do it, all the parents I've talked to agree and the experts like consent is important at the very least, because if they're with another adult, that adult's going to get one of those scary notifications that says you're being followed by an air tag, oh. um, which teachers have been getting lately, which just cracks me up because oh, their, wow. their students have these in class. So yeah, it's, it's sort of a let's test it out. Let's see if it works. Let's make sure you don't lose it. And I think it becomes something comforting that they just keep around and keep doing or something they never check and give up on. I had no idea about obviously, right? So if there is an unregistered air tag near a person who is also an owner of like an iPhone or an iPad, that that person gets a notification. That's that's one of the ways that Apple has put forth like this anti-stalking measure to say, hey, like you might be tracked and you might not know about it. And so obviously if a bunch of kids are going into a classroom and they all have air tags and the teacher has an iPhone and they haven't registered any air tags, they I assume, like you said, they're just getting notifications all day, which can be very frightening if you don't put the pieces together. And that's a wild thing to know. That's pretty crazy. Um, I wanted to go back to what you said about how once the ages start to get older, that you actually see some 
differences between why parents are doing it. And so I wanted to kind of revisit that question there, right? We talked about how parents are, are rolling this stuff out. Why are parents saying that they want to do this? I'm sure there's a whole spectrum, but they kind of fall into two groups. One of these parents are extremely worried about their kids being away from them or who want to know what they're doing at all times of their day. It could just be a practical thing. They really, they're on a tight schedule. They've got lessons, they've got school, they're on buses here and there, and their parents want to know where they are. But there's this really interesting group of parents that are like, I want my child to have some of the freedom that I had as a kid, which has very much gone missing from today's childhood. Kids aren't out on their bikes during the summer as much just by themselves until sundown. Their lives are scheduled down to the minute. And so these parents are, are trying to really go back a little bit, let them have some of that freedom. And then this is sort of a small way to give that to them while still adhering to some of these parental norms of, I know where you are. You're not a Gen X child wandering a construction site at 10 p.m. Um, I'm a better parent than my parents, but I'm still giving you some of the joy and freedom that I had as a kid. Is that... Like, I don't know if we can answer that question on this podcast, but does that, that feels extremely contradictory <laughs> to me. It feels bizarre that we would use a monitoring and tracking device to give a sense of freedom in my mind, right? And I said, I also explain, I am not a parent, so I don't know what I'm talking about sometimes. <laughs> so I hear these things like, okay, like, tracking and then I hear freedom and then the only way that those two things could lead to one another or live in co-harmony is like if you just launch those ideas at one another like a sort of atom smasher and you created some new idea entirely and I just want to hammer down on that like does that make sense do we know if that makes sense is that a thing that we've had enough time to measure if it really does provide freedom I'm trying to figure it out it's you know freedom is a big word Uh, (laughs) so we'll avoid that one (laughs) A little, a little more freedom than usual. I think you have to step back and look at kind of what's happened to parenting since the 80s and specifically the Reagan administration. I talked to a bunch of experts about this. Income inequality sort of has grown drastically since then. And um, the way we handle scary stories of kids being kidnapped or murdered or played out on the internet versus just being on the news, they spread a lot more. They go viral. They sound so frightening. And so what's happened is parents have gone from kind of just trusting their kids to to manage themselves a little. To, their kids had so much free time in the 80s and the 90s to do whatever they wanted with. And now parents are much more concerned about their children's future. Like getting them into college is so much more important than it used to be because you used to be able to skip college and have a comfortable middle-class life. And now parents are like, you, you need to build your resume now, nine-year-old, so that we can get you into Cornell. <laughs> So parenting has turned into this really intense full-time job for the parents and the kids. And so some parents are just desperately trying to pull away from that a little bit. And yet letting go completely just maybe isn't an option a lot for these parents. And so this is sort of a little stopgap measure. It's like, well, I'm going to let go as much as I can in this terrible society that we've built of parenting and see how that works out. And I think especially for younger children, you should be surveilling them a little. Like you should know where your six-year-old and your nine-year-old are. Um, it gets much trickier when you get towards the teenage years. I remember billboards that used to go up that said, you know, it's 10 p.m. Do you know where your child is? And I was born at a time when those didn't really apply to me, but I think they apply to my brothers who are in, you know, they're Gen Xers. And 
it definitely introduced this concept to me that someone might not know where their kid is at 10 p.m. <laughs> and that's frightening. That's very frightening because like I was, I'm significantly younger than my brothers. And I just thought, you know, as someone who was, I mean, I was a child and this idea that, oh, my parents wouldn't know where I was and I'm seven and it's like, it's later than I am old, you know? And <laughs> I hear what you're saying. That's all I'm saying. Like, I, I understand it. I get it. And I think it's also important to note that Obviously, there's a lot of information out there and research that kidnapping is not frequently committed by strangers, that more often than not, it's someone that the child knows. But that doesn't make a parent feel better. Like That doesn't stop a parent from being afraid. And so you can kind of see how this tracking leads to that. You mentioned there that things get a little dicier when the kids get older. Can you just expand on that? I love this part of like modern childhood because it's already changed so much. Even since you and I were kids, um, I'm closer to your brother's age. Kids are growing up tracked from, you know, the air tag age. But once they get a smartphone, a lot of parents have this default agreement of like, I pay for it. You let me see your location at all times. Sometimes it's a two-way street. A lot of parents are like, you can also see my location at all times. And these kids are growing up with this being the norm. And you talk to these teenagers and they're like, of course, my parents always know where I are and where I am. Like, that's just that's standard, don't yours? And this is it's more normal. And it's interesting that teenagers right now, they're getting driver's licenses at like a much lower rate. I assume they're not sneaking out as much, but maybe they're just really good at like getting around the system because I love teenagers. <laughs> but they, they are going, as they get a little older, there is much more of a consent issue. Like they have to agree to do this. And... Some kids are probably going to be like, you know what, this is too much. And that's a conversation they should have with their parents. But when you're younger, again, they just do not care. They are happy to be outside on a bike or eating some ice cream. And that also kind of speaks to the fact that a lot of what you're reporting was showed that these air tags are being used in that middle stage between old enough to walk away and not old enough to have a phone does the air tag just stay with them as they get older or is there a kid who is young enough to have the air tag and then the parent thinks well i also have some older kids i have some teens and so we're going to introduce the air tags as well i just want to see is there a spectrum there kind of what's happening so they're actually using the air tags to delay giving their kids phones which is fascinating they're they're just as afraid of strangers as they are social media there's Lots of research. The attorney general even came out and was like, you know, we should we should look more into social media's impact on our children's mental health. And that's something a lot of parents are very concerned about. But they still want to know where their kids are. So they're like, what if we what if we do this instead? What if we push off that date of getting them their first smartphone a little longer? And right now, most kids are getting their smartphones around middle school, maybe 12, 13 years old. And once that happens, there's really not much of a reason for an air tag. Although I have heard of parents doing both as like well, what if their battery dies? Or I just want to find their backpack. So they do overlap a little, but I think largely that technology can be easily handled by a smartphone once you have it. I also wanted to know, because like we know that social media is bad for children. We know that, like you said, like fewer kids are getting their driver's license at an earlier age, which is wild. And more kids report uh, feeling depression and anxiety. More kids have expressed suicidality than ever before uh, at certain ages, um, which is deeply worrying. And I wonder then, do we also have information from people who study these things? Do we have experts in childcare and psychology who 
you spoke with who have opinions and location tracking of children. Pretty much, what do they think about this modern tracking trend? It's interesting. A lot of experts were already concerned about children not being able to walk around on their own, about not being able to learn independence. And there's this group called uh, Free Range Childhood, and this woman who, who runs it I spoke to has been advocating for states to change their laws around what children are allowed to do. There were a series of really high-profile cases of parents being like, yes, eight-year-old, walk home from the store. In a true sign of our times, other people decide to get involved and police how those people are raising their children. And they call the police. They call Child Protective Services. Kids are taken away from their parents for really simple things. And this has a much higher impact on people of color, uh, black families. There's studies showing that Child Protective Services is much more likely to step in and take their kids away for these same sort of infractions that used to be the norm for raising kids. And so this group has been pushing for more common sense laws about what age can you be on your own? Like a truly baffling question I don't even know the answer to. What age can you be on your own at home, on the streets? And so I, I talked to them and I was like, well, what about tracking? And you know, it's not their favorite. I think they would rather see the kids have freedom in some way than not at all, but they definitely feel like this isn't a way to build trust because what you're trying to do when you let your kids go on their own is you want them to get lost. You want them to be challenged. You want them to know that you trust them to take on this responsibility. And if you're always in the background, if they know you're always watching in a way, it's going to be much harder to build those skills. Yeah, there was something that... I apologize, I forgot the name of the individual you were speaking with in that article, but they said something that I thought was fantastic, which is that a lot of parents are trying to replace trust with certainty, and that what they're getting from technology is certainty. They can find out, okay, like, your kid is here. I am certain of it, you know, but that is not (laughs) uh, synonymous with trust, which is that you don't have to check maybe or that you don't have to rely on a technology to do these things and i just wanted it i thought that was such a smart thing and i had never heard it put that way before whoever that was did they have more to say (laughs) (laughs) um her name is lenore she's from the the free range childhood group and she is yes she's like one of the people that's been thinking about this longer and harder than i've thought about most things in my life and (laughs) Yeah, trust was really the biggest sticking point for hers is there's not a good way to build trust and surveil somebody. One workaround some parents did was like, well, you can track me too. And the kids were like, but you're boring. Um, (laughs) Not my children, obviously. Um, So, yeah, so part of it is just sort of retraining parents to give their children time to do nothing and to be almost off grid a little bit in their lives and play. And I think what they call like free range parenting, you know, just letting whatever happens happens instead of trying to schedule every second of their day is so important to learning independence, learning trust, building a solid relationship with their parents. And once you add, I'm going to let you do all these things. And I'm also looking at you as a blue dot on my iPhone. It becomes a little less effective, I think is the problem. I also think it's pretty interesting that age question of like how old does have someone have to be to kind of just be on their own, like to walk about. There's a Netflix show or a show that Netflix purchased. The Japanese a- kids. Yes. 
It's called Old Enough, and it's adorable, and it's kids who are as young as like three or four going out on an errand. And they're safe the entire time. There's a, there's a camera crew that tries to hide that sometimes gets caught, which is even more fun and adorable. But you see such a different structure of a society in that like the kid goes to the grocery store and they say like, I'm here to pick up, you know, such and such for my mom. And the grocery store owner knows the parents, knows the kid. And I grew up in a suburb where that didn't exist. You know, we couldn't walk to a store. <laughs> like we could walk to another cul-de-sac and you know obviously there's probably a ton of different reasons leading up there but that show just shows like it's trying to reveal that you can do things and be free perhaps earlier than we assumed and it's also really cute (laughs) it's god it's so good and so adorable um and i think a lot of it is like a difference in how community exists in different cultures and even here in the states like i'm i'm in a big city i'm in san francisco I know the people at the stores on my street because, you know, each little neighborhood is is like a tiny community and it's walkable. And I think density helps a lot. Knowing your neighbors helps a lot. But in the States, we also have this terrible culture of people paying attention not to be helpful or to form community, but to kind of be narcs. Like they, they want to... <laughs> They want to tell you how you're doing things wrong. Like just look anywhere at the culture of like, quote unquote, Karens, people with opinions about things that are just absolutely none of their business. And so it's not that we shouldn't be in each other's business, but it should be a helpful thing instead of a harmful thing. And when you see these little kids going to the store to, you know, buy whatever they need with their money, God, they're so cute. (laughs) Like we could have that if we were just slightly less terrible people sometimes. Instead, what we have is uh, next door. (laughs) (laughs) I also wanted to ask if in speaking to child psychologists and like that group about like helping kids be free and asking for common sense laws, did you ever explore the topic of what the consequences might be for these kids when they become adults? And I'm specifically referring here to whether or not kids who are tracked who are monitored when they see that type of behavior put upon them in loving relationships in familial relationships even from parents who are supportive and and are all the good things do they perhaps become accepting of that behavior when they grow up and maybe either push it on their own kids or even ask for it from a romantic partner Um, are they more okay with being tracked by a romantic partner or of tracking a romantic partner because a lot of the work i do is very against that kind of stuff. And I'm deeply worried about that kind of behavior manifesting, but I don't know if that came up in the reporting. I don't know if there's, if it's even, if we've even had enough years for us to understand that. I definitely don't think we know, honestly, we don't even know the actual impact of social media. We're just pretending we do. We, we definitely won't know tracking's impact yet. Um, I, I've also covered stalkerware and uh, yeah. this domestic violence issue a lot in, in terms of technology. And Apple is very aware of this, which I will give them credit for, sometimes because people bring it up and yell at them. But they've added a lot of features to mitigate some of the risks that they're also creating and then selling. So, you know, there's anti-stalking features for the AirTag. There's a safety mode now that's still kind of new on the on the iPhone, where you can basically press a button and it disconnects everything that could be used to stalk you and you can start over. But on the less dark side of this, I find it fascinating that sharing 
your location with somebody is like a new stage of a relationship. People are growing up and it's part of intimacy. It's part of like knowing you're loved and in a close relationship with your parents. And you, you grow up and you start dating. And I remember when my husband first shared his location with me and I was like, oh, he loves me. Um, I can see when he'll be home for dinner. And it's also, I think when that does happen, it should be at the point in the relationship where you're not using it because you want to know if they're doing something bad or you're jealous or you're worried. It's when you're at the comfort level of, I want to know if he's near a coffee shop so I can make him get me an Americano. <laughs> like there's, and obviously like the range of human experience is wide. It could be any of these things. Uh, but yeah, location tracking is like this weird thing we've added to all of our personal relationships. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of um, when we go and we discuss security measures against, uh, you know, stalker type apps. We always talk about having a device passcode because so many apps are installed through physical access. And so we understand that not every couple, particularly couples, you know, where there's situations of, of domestic abuse, that the survivor can have a unique passcode that is not shared. But we always put that out there. And there's always this kind of difficult thing that we have to address where, there are couples who, where there is no abuse and there is love and trust and the passcode is still shared between partners. And that happens between my wife and I. But at the same time, you have to be there and say like, but this is actually a very bad measure, you know, in a different kind of relationship. And all of it is to say, I understand what you're saying here. You know, that um, we can talk about this type of tracking and say, watch out, it might it might destroy us all. Um, and at the same time, <laughs> There are a lot of couples who choose to get there and, you know, we have friends who tell us that they enjoy it, that they like it, that it's for the exact same reasons. So-and-so is somewhere. I need to see where they are uh, when they're coming back. I need a schedule when to start making dinner. There's so many boring reasons for it. That's, I mean, that's being an adult. It's like most of the reasons for this are incredibly dull. Can you, do you see your wife's location? No. Uh, absolutely not. not i'm gonna say that yeah on this oh yeah hell no she doesn't see mine and we're never i can't say anything about like our kids down the line like if we choose to have kids and because i don't know i just don't know so many things change but i can tell you right now between the two of us i'm so excited that my podcast producer is gonna have to bleep something out <laughs> absolutely not <laughs> i'm not about it there's no way and she's not about it either so we have discussed it that was fun to get a question that was a lot of fun <laughs> I mean, it's a slippery slope until you have like a shared Gmail account, you know, with both your names in it. <laughs> we, <laughs> I won't go down that route. Yeah, we had a we had a we had an event recently, and we had to sign like our emails like as both of us, you know. But it was only coming from one account, and so I'm like, oh, that's why you'd get a shared Gmail account. But no, no, we're not going to do it. It was a one-time thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> going back to the episode, I wanted to talk about kind of rules that families are setting up, right? Because AirTags are relatively new. And so I want to know if the families you spoke with, have they already just on their own developed their own agreed upon rules for what was and wasn't okay for tracking their kids? And I assume some of this is coming, like you said, a lot of the kids, like the younger kids are like, okay, whatever, blah, 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 right? It's fine. But I assume some rules might be developed because teens may be pushing back. And so the question there, right, is do families have rules around the use of AirTags and when they start getting pushback? So I 
am thankful. I didn't, I talked to a ton of parents for this. I didn't find anybody who was doing it without their kid's permission. Uh, so the, cool. the most agreed upon rule was like, your kid will know it's there. What's interesting to me, and this seems maybe Apple has a reason, but when you check somebody's location, they don't know. You don't get a ping, whether it's through an iPhone or an AirTag. And that seems like it'd be a really helpful little feature they could add. I'd like to know, like if I was a kid, I'd like to know how often my parents are checking on me for transparency. Yeah. Anyway, so I I think it's something that parents and kids forget about more than make rules around. Like once it's established that it's sewn into a backpack, parents stop checking it as much. They check it a lot in the beginning, but then once they know where their kids are, it's only if they need it. Once you get towards tracking on smartphones, it is definitely a condition they have to leave the tracking on. It's a condition of them having their parents buy their phone and pay for service, which is very interesting. You know, you're under my roof, et cetera, et cetera. And I have heard of kids pretending their phone has died because then it doesn't work. And like, oh, my phone died. I stumbled into a rave. And (laughs) if rave still exists, that's how old I am. Um, Or they'll leave their devices at a friend's house and say they're staying there and then they'll go out. So Uh I don't know if there's rules so much as there's ways to get around the rule of let me track you. Going back to something you said earlier, right, where you just, you're like, I love teenagers and it's because they're so clever and they're so much better at avoiding the restrictions we put on them. Like you said, something as simple as like, because I hadn't thought of something as simple as I'm going to my friend's house and then we just leave our phones there. Like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's the smartest thing in the world. I didn't even, oh, like, thank goodness you're going to be running the world one day. You're so smart. <laughs> I mean, every, every like hacker that exists now started out as a kid trying to get away with something. <laughs> like, I feel like when I see them getting really creative with Apple parental controls, for example, kids figured out that if you open certain apps, you can go to the terms and service and get a link to Google. And you can search the web there without any parental monitoring. And I'm like, as a parent, maybe I'm not fond of that. But like, I respect it. You kids are smart. Wow. That's something I hadn't considered. Oh, my gosh. That's so good. That's like. They're great, right? I love them. (laughs) That's that's so much smarter than I could have. uh, If I was in like some regime where I had to be tracked and I was told like, we're going to track your web browsing. I feel like I would have given up. I would have just be like, well, okay, I'm just not going to look at the internet anymore. I'm not going to be clever. Boy, do I have <laughs> bad news for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's happening right now. Surprise. <laughs> they, they have it all. Were there any other stories like that? Just because I love that. I think that's great. Was there anything else that surprised you about teen behavior in skirting these types of restrictions? Maybe the opposite, and we talked about this a little, is, is how much they're just okay with it. And they don't question it. And they're just... I spent years sneaking around so my parents didn't catch me. And I'm like, come on, kids, try harder. I obviously don't have teenagers yet. Um, I wouldn't be so glib. Uh, but yeah, the, just sort of the acceptance of it is the norm. And I think as they get older, maybe less in relationships, but you're, maybe they'll be more accepting of all the other kinds of tracking that goes on, like of your web browsing, of every company constantly collecting information about you. I do worry that if it's what they've always known, they're not going to question as much. They're not going to be as upset about these things as you and I sometimes get. Yeah, the hardest opponents we've found in terms of like caring about, let's say, data brokers, right? The collection of your web activity and then the, the, the like putting that together to create profiles, to target you with ads. 
is teenagers. I heard a kid say one time that they like targeted ads, and I didn't know what to do about that. I still don't know what to do about that. And they're cool with it. Like, they think it's useful. They think it's, they just like it. And you can tell these horror stories about how Target knew that a teenager was pregnant without even having to look up baby items because they saw that a lot of shopping behavior and browsing occurred with women who eventually became pregnant. And they sent like a mailer to her home and they revealed her pregnancy to her father without her knowing. And so like, those are the horror stories that we have. And when that like doesn't stand a chance against, I like (laughs) getting targeted ads, it can feel pretty disappointing. That's all. And so Yes, you know, way to go for being clever teens, but also fight back, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I hope they do. I actually I, I reported on a story about um, the, the Catholic Church buying data from data brokers and using it to out gay priests. And I thought, this will make people really upset. Though, this is what's going <laughs> to, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. this is possible. And a lot of them are like, well, you just shouldn't have been a gay priest, I guess. And so that <laughs> was disappointing. I mean, people were upset, but... They still yeah. didn't see it as applicable to them because they are not a gay priest, I guess. It was still too far off of an example. So I think we'll see more examples that will maybe frighten them a little more. Or maybe not. Maybe they'll just get really good ads. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. This compartmentalization of like every lived experience not having to apply to your own. That's a different podcast. That's <laughs> Sorry, a different I got us off book. track here. <laughs> I could do it all day. Um, I wouldn't, you know, it, it would just be... This podcast has a tendency of ending on a downer, so we can't do that. Um, I did want to wrap up here, though, uh, and ask really broadly, just where is all of this going? Because like you said, so much of parenthood right now is a competition and so much of childhood right now is scheduling and, uh, you know, like building the resume of the nine-year-old. And I don't think that's ever going to go away. And I don't think that the fear that parents are feeling for things like kidnappings, things like crime, I don't think that's ever going to go away either. I kind of only see them getting worse and kind of spiraling. And so I just wanted to get your thoughts here. Where do you think all of this is going, this this tracking of kids that we do? I think maybe because I have kids that are this age, I'm slightly more optimistic. I am trying, and I think a lot of parent friends of mine are trying to give them more freedom, obviously, because this again came up because my kid was walking around the neighborhood, he's going to the library, and I was like, oh, should I know where you are? And I think we're also, there's there's enough research coming out that the importance of play and free time to their development is key. And I think you might see some kids who are raised overly scheduled, who maybe burn out early, or who don't have an appropriate amount of independence and those kinds of skills. They can only get around with Google Maps. Just kidding. I can only get around with Google Maps now. But I mean, I always think the kids will be okay. Gen Z is a freaking inspiration. I love them. They are wild. And I think it's just in the end, parents need to chill. And if this lets them chill, and if it doesn't impact the kids too much, and it lets them go do silly things like jumping in some puddles with their friends or light, really inconsequential shoplifting, like good for them. And so, yeah, I, I think there is a pushback right now in parenting against the overscheduling and the overcontrol of kids, but the control is just coming out in a different way. And 
I mean, the funny thing about an air tag is like, what are you going to do with that information? Like, it's not going to be useful to you unless something bad has already happened. Or if you're just trying to find them for non-dangerous reasons, like it's dinner time. So yeah, I think they'll be fine. I don't think air tags are going to have a negative impact immediately. I think smartphones, social media are still the much bigger risk factors, but I think parents just need to let go a little bit. And um, I'm trying, I'm trying really hard. (laughs) to be one of those parents so we'll see how it works out call me in 10 years <laughs> i wish you the best i wish me the best if we ever have kids um because i can't see it being easy but i appreciate knowing that you can even be in it when it's difficult and say i should learn to let go a little bit because that's i think very difficult but very important and so thank you you know thank you for um thank you for recognizing it i guess you know, if the podcast lasts uh, 10 more years, I'll check in. <laughs> I'll be here. <laughs> Heather, thank you so much again for coming on today's show. Anytime. This was a hoot. To our listeners, we'll talk to you again in two weeks. Until then, stay tuned and stay safe. And remember, you can read all our cybersecurity coverage on Malwarebytes Labs at malwarebytes.com slash blog. Finally, our intro music is by Kevin McLeod from incompetech.com, and our outro music is by Woa from unminus.com. Today's show has been edited by our podcast consultant, Eric Johnson at lightningpod.fm. Thank you, folks. <laughs>